Good morning, Chip. What is this? He's reluctant today. For those of you who are joining us, I told him we were having a, a meeting with some of our teammates today. And as he walked in, the only teammates he saw were these two microphones. Sure looks Tricked like ya. a podcast set up. At the least, I've been bamboozled. At the most, this is some form of intellectual infidelity. <laughs> you are such a weirdo. I'm Joanna Gaines. I'm a wife, a mother, a sister, and daughter. But really, more than anything, I'm a person who carries a story. So earlier this year, I wrote down my story, my whole story. I called it The Stories We Tell. And that's what led me to this podcast, to a place where we can share our stories together. Imagine if the stories we tell brought us back to our truest selves, back to one another because we all have a story to tell, and I can't wait to hear yours. I do think you need to eat a taco or something so that your energy levels, this is not gonna help if your energy level stays like this. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the stories we tell with my special guest, Chip Gaines. I will say, every time I see the stories we tell, and I think about how much work you've put into this project and how personal it was, you know, it just, it really, it really fills my heart, you know? Well, I think it's very sweet. My favorite thing to see on the nightstand on your side is my book. I'm already into chapter three. Every day, every night. Now it does put you to sleep. So I don't know if that's a good thing. No, that's always the case with me. I kind of am a slow reader and I read literally word for word. I don't scan information. Yeah. Kind of. So good news is it sticks with me. And once I've got it, I retain it at a really high rate. I don't mean to brag, but probably like in some kind of a genius rate. Yep. Harry's Um, waking up. But then the downside is it takes me a long time to process it, you know, to get through it. Maybe process isn't the right word because I feel like I process it quickly. But when I'm literally reading it, it is word for word where I don't think normal readers don't read like that. I actually don't know what normal readers do. I know for me, I Skim, I, I yeah, read really I fast and I have a low retention. You remember every word, every yeah. comma. You're, it's fascinating how you read, but you're slow, Ugh, but so it slow. sticks with you. But, you know, the other day I posted on social that video of me skating. And I think the mo- this moment of connection I had with a lot of the people that have watched the video, I had asked, you know, what do you want to go back to? What do you want to reclaim? Mm-hmm. And I remember going through their answers and just feeling this sense of like connection, but also just like, oh, this is just sad that as adults, we, when you stop and really, I think there's, it's not sad and like a life is sad, but it is sad in some ways that we've left pieces of ourselves, Mm -hmm. sometimes the best pieces of ourselves way, way, way back there. And when you really stop and think through, man, what did I lose because I didn't believe it? Or what did I lose? Cause I just didn't fight for it. The question is like, what would you reclaim? And people said things like optimism. They said compassion. They said confidence, patience, being adventurous, being spontaneous, having curiosity, wonder. A lot of that is like what children are just innately gifted with. And Mm -hmm. then once the world kind of does its thing or we, what you would call mature, those things we leave on the table. So I can I quickly identify with what I want to go back to. As a six-year-old girl, I want to be light and free. I want to be that girl on the skates that doesn't care if anyone's watching, if I fall, who cares? Like, it's just this freedom of 
being in my skin and and living the fullness of me in that moment. Mm-hmm. Just when, true and like deep yes. peace, deep joy, deep happiness. Living. Yeah. But when you go back to your time in that place, what 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 what, I, what quickly comes to mind? I think I just remember moments so vividly. I remember the way things smelled, the way things sounded. Like it's just so it's like I can go back and live it all over again. But I do remember a shift going from living out loud and outside of my head to then living quieter and in my head. So that shift happened around when I was six. But do you see that as a negative or or, or there who cares? Maybe I see it as a negative because of what it's kind of like what I um maybe the circumstances that weren't any different than most kids' circumstances. I mean, all of us in some ways, you know, had embarrassing moments, like all those things. Yeah, but don't don't belittle your circumstances because they were sincerely different. I know, but one moment I think of specifically, okay. which is the most like minuscule button sized moment. Which okay. I remember a moment so vividly, I actually wrote about it in the book and I think it's comical. It was the day that I showed up at show and tell and forgot that it was show and tell, but remember that morning I'd lost a button. I take that button, put it in my pocket. And when the teacher called my name, I acted like I actually believed kind of like you. I felt like at this point I was you where I was like, oh, they're going to love this button. I'm going <laughs> to blow their minds with this button. I went out to the hall to grab the button. I get back in front of the class and I have it behind my back. And I'm like, this morning, this fell off my coat and I pull it forward and that's when the laughing started. That's when the people were like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And again, that's it's not even a belittling moment. It's silly that I would think this button was going to make anybody interested in what I had. Sure. You know, but in that moment that- I can that, imagine some little redheaded boy in the background, Joe, your button sucks. Right. I'm sure that happened. But I remember that feeling of, I can't trust myself anymore. I remember thinking I knew what was going to be incredible and I brought it to the front of the classroom and it was everything you but incredible. Yeah. And so I think from that moment, it shifted. I felt that- that Judgment or whatever. insecurity. Yeah. Like What I think is crazy though is that we don't, I didn't know you as a little boy. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's a whole side of chip games that I hear stories about. But then when you tell me some stories about- how you'd make up stories, things like my dad owns American Airlines. Yes. <laughs> okay. Exactly. And um, <laughs> he worked for American Airlines and a rumor got started yeah. beyond, without my I'm direct sure. knowledge or, or, right. or input that he owned American Airlines, quote unquote. And you didn't correct how why, why would anybody correct that? that <laughs> that's not my fault that they misinterpreted. I know. So I'm saying what was, we never dig in with you. With me, I'm kind of like, I know all my, I can kind of name my insecurities. I can pinpoint I was just them. like everybody else. So nobody was like, why do you have less or more than us? But I wanted them to think I lived in a two-story house. So I would tell everybody that could not literally direct line of sight, see my house. That you lived in that I lived story, in a two-story house. Because two-story houses are for rich people. That's where the money's yes. at. Everybody know <laughs> if you live in this little suburb yes. and you live in a two-story house, your dad is doing better than the other dads and, who only can afford one story. Right. But also- And I was adamant about this. But then when they would come over, I'd be like, oh, what? what? No, we sold that one. That was the other house. Yeah, we, they were like, well, but you just said it like a week ago. I was, yeah, it's like a second house. Tough week. Tough week. We've had a lot going on. But your classmates also believed your father owned American Airlines, which I think is interesting that you never corrected them. 
I don't know. I think it's interesting because for me, it was like all out of insecurity. Yours was like a story on top of your story that you were like, hey, it's an act or it's a. Well, but the irony that you say you doubted whether or not you were good enough, there had to have been some thought that crossed my mind like this isn't going to cut it. I'm not going to be able to get what I need by being basic. And so it was like I wasn't not proud of it. You know, it's like it wasn't like I was hiding the reality. But I mean, it was like I would daydream about future hypothetical possibilities. And then I would draw them to present day and act them out, if that makes sense. Yeah. When people would ask you, because this is a question that I revisit a lot in the book, and even just as I've been thinking about those moments where I got to skate back down on that main street, the street that I grew up on, and I would remember people saying, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And for me, it was I wanted to be the best roller skater in the world. Like that was my dream. Yeah. Just like roller skate and be the Into girl. Into the Olympics all or something. Of it. Yeah. Um, that was like my ultimate goal. Free, carefree. When you people would ask. Your mom like thought you were like a little cave girl. I was or something. wild. Wild, wild headed. Wild. And you couldn't that like. That one picture they, where your tooth's been yeah. either knocked out or missing, you know. If it was a summer day, you couldn't find me because I was somewhere on the streets riding my bike or my skate. With friends or typically by yourself um, in those sense? By myself, which is another thing I need to p- unpack. I'm like, why was I always by but myself? Is that is that true? Yes. You didn't have little running buddies? And- I had friends in the neighborhood because we there were kids everywhere. That's I think I preferred. I just kept going. So they'd be done skating or they'd be done riding the bike. I'm I like, see. I'll catch you tomorrow. There was sure. never an end until I knew, okay, it's dinner time. I got to you know, park it in the garage. Sure. But when I ask you that question, can you go back and say, okay, are there pieces of Chip Carter at six, at seven that I wish I could reclaim? Or do you feel like what you've grown into is something that is more for you looking future rather than backwards? I'll say it like this. When I think back about my childhood, I don't really have this pivotal moment of, gosh, this is when I did this thing. There's got to be something to the fact that I didn't feel like I was enough and I had to stand out. There has to be some similarities between my thought about that and your thought for sure. I had a story to tell about my two-story house. You know, and so in so many ways, it was not accurate and was not healthy, but it was just my effort or my willingness to sort of put myself out there in a way that made other people go, that was funny. That was fun. What you just said, it was always a thing. I mean, you were at our wedding and all my groomsmen stood up for what felt like hours and talked about quote unquote chip stories. Well, my high school crew has those same mm-hmm. stories, just different circumstances. You know, this has been like a reoccurring theme in my whole life. And so where I feel like at an at a young age, I remember it like it was yesterday. I was probably 17, 18 months old. And oh, I remember realizing like my purpose on this earth is like sort of like in this genre, is in this realm. And I wasn't disappointed about that. Like I wanted to go and pursue that. So when you think about entrepreneurship, when you think about fearlessness, when you think about self-esteem, you know, these things were sort of built into me even at a young age. And so I don't have this real clear thought about going back in time and undoing this thing where I really laid down a part of myself and adopted some other part of myself. 
But to think back about this like moment in time that, man, had I gone right instead of left, yeah. boy, look how different things would have been. I pretty much started in this direction and ended in this direction, but there were a million right. zigs so and I, zags along the way. So I do wonder, is that, a, is that a personality thing? Is that a way people process thing because I think for a lot of people they could answer it and there were a few that were like I there's nothing I love what I've turned into I love what I've become and I think hey that's healthy too like I don't think there's like I don't think everyone has to go back and say I'd reclaim this piece of me I think for you that doesn't even feel like who you are to ask that question to you is kind of you've just never thought about how do I go backwards and reflect? You know, that's just, that's not how you process life. You're always just moving forward. That's why the other day with that Socrates point that an unevaluated life is a life not worth living. And I've always been like almost adamantly opposed to that. Like live it, go for it. Forget the evaluation, just do more of it mm-hmm. is my thought. And I would say I've kind of, as I've matured and certainly into my you know, 40s, I feel like I'm evolving a little and even watching you go through this process of, with the book. I mean, it's true for you. And I think some people just have an uncanny ability, even a six-year-old but kid. So as it relates to who you became in your 20s and 30s and some of the insecurities and self-doubt that you struggled with and worked through in those kind of pivotal, you know, decades, if you will, would you attribute it more to verbal and literal insults that are similar in that way to your point that everybody has a moment that you fell and you dropped all your right. books and, you know, that's not a race thing. That's not a, that's right. not something directly no, that, that attributed had nothing to, to do with this person being, is different right. under these circumstances or less than or better than they just tripped and they dropped all their books and gosh, that'd be embarrassing no right. matter who you were versus the, my mom is Korean. And I don't have any friends whose moms are Korean and my skin is dark and my eyes are brown and my hair is black, you know, which would you attribute? Because if they're in the prior, then I think it's interesting. I think it's a combination of both. Your point's valid in the sense that everybody has that and everybody can relate. But that specific version of that is so unique to you. And obviously minorities or people of color and women in general, you know, to where you always kind of feel a little like, because you've got some boy like me, louder and faster and whatever, you know, meaner. And so then you've got a real point in the sense that, no, this is unique to me in that sense. No, I, the button story is only the first moment I remember caring. And so from that, cause that was like the first day of school. So it was moving into school. That was the, that didn't wait first day of school in the first grade, like your first contact with school. It was period. kindergarten. Yes. Really? So it was like oh, me coming out there. It so was, you're, you're basically saying you're transitioning from at my house. When being, I show my mom yes. a button, my mom thinks my button's right. great. And when I go to school and show it to a, half dozen kids it's it's interpreted sometimes it's great sometimes yeah, it's and not so the, the moment of the button the reason why i'm not even belittling and i'm just saying we all have those button moments where we like you said we fell people are like that was a dumb joke that that's not the pivotal moment it's just the moment i remember first feeling that tinge of like shame or embarrassment leading into that full year of then oh i am actually different I see. 
being a hyper aware of it. Sure. I think the biggest thing is the cover of the book. When you take it off, you see that six-year-old girl. It is that moment of shifting from living out loud to living in her head mm-hmm. and caring all of a sudden. And at some point, all of us start caring. At some point, you cared that your classmates thought you were wealthy, that you For had sure. a two-story house. I bet at three, you didn't. I bet at four, you didn't. I totally. bet at seven, you didn't. Maybe at 10, you know? Sure. So it's the moment of caring that I am just so distinctly aware of that I'm trying to get back to saying, why did you care? Why? And and that's what I'm trying to rewrite. Not again, I don't want to relive it. I don't want, it's none of that. It's just like, how do you go from that moment and believe something different so that you don't go 40 years believing something that's actually not true. That was really, I don't think anyone understands the weight of their words when you're six years old. Those boys did not understand the weight of their words. I'm still untangling some of that and I have nothing you know, in my mind, the, the the idea of forgiving myself and even them is huge in this. But again, it's it's I am so, you don't have to go back to your six year old self because I feel like I can't think of anybody that I would need to go back and forgive them. But I can think of some people that I could go back and ask their forgiveness for right. sure. And I mean, same. I can do both. I, see. I, I, I feel like I was a mean girl at times, just mm. as long as I was also the receiver of that mean. It's like kind of when people say hurt people, hurt people. I was like, oh, is this how you do this? Like I, sure. and that's even part of that whole journey for me of, I know what that felt like. Why would I ever do that? Sure. Um, mm. But I do think the bottom line is, is it's interesting how I think for you, it's a moving forward. How do I get stronger? How do I get wiser, all the things, because that's just your mentality. You're, you're healthy and whole in that way. And I think for me, I have to go way back and almost make it a circle of life where it's like, okay, I'm in my mid forties. How do I connect back to the six-year-old? I don't know if I want to, you know, the 70 year old is going to be richer. The 70 year old version of me will be richer if I can connect back to that six-year-old and rewrite some of those things that I believe for too long. And so that's the journey that, that I've been on that I feel like has been, so freeing, um, but also just to take the weight off of even our children of like, what do you want? Like, it's always so futurist, whatever, but it's like, how do we really believe in these moments that are right here, right now, without all the answers? Um, How do we let our children be children longer? How do we let them linger longer? I also think when you think about what are kids supposed to be, I think when you evaluate all these traits about yourself, And at 25, you can look back and go, huh, what are the reoccurring themes in my life? Then equals, I want to do this for a living. Or, you know, so I think there is a thing to it that gets you there quicker. When I, as you were talking earlier, it was a light bulb moment for me that I've never really, that's never really come to me, which is why do I love renovation so much? I love that before and after mm. story. I love the house that is unassuming or that people are like, drive by it, don't even notice it, or it has no potential. It's not enough. Mm-hmm. You then go put all the stuff into it. And then all of a sudden it becomes this beautiful after moment the that showcase. hopefully inspires people. It's sure. the Cinderella story. The idea that I feel like I found my lane in unearthing things or, or or 
projects that didn't feel like people cared about or didn't see the value in. Well, even the irony, you do that with houses. And of course, we know that. But back in our early days, you would go buy a piece of furniture and do the same thing with it. Spray paint it, bring it back to life. Yeah, for sure. So there's similar veins in that. Once you started experimenting with what really you were destined to do, those things started really lining up pretty quickly. But why does that line up? It's because I... I think I really understand the feeling of showing up and maybe believing, hey, I'm not enough, but wait till I, I don't know. And so even now as a 44-year-old woman, I can say after writing this book, I feel like this odd fixer-upper where it's like not outwardly. I'm not talking about my looks. I'm talking about my soul and my heart and like how I feel about myself. Sure. It's I've, I got to uncover and unearth pieces that I needed to bring back to life. I needed to restore some parts of myself that I knew were valuable. And so when you start tying that to what I get to do in real life for my job, it's interesting how parallel that is. And that that's probably why I find so much meaning in the work I get to do because it starts kind of personally with me. And then I get to see that full representation in a project or in a home. And so I think for me, the idea of getting to evaluate what are these reoccurring themes in my life then leads to kind of what I get to do for a living. You know, I think there's something to that. When you evaluate, you can really stand firmer in the place that you're are now or go, I need a pivot. This isn't actually where I'm supposed to be. So in the beginning, I think every year, you know, I go into the year thinking, what is my word for the year? What's the, maybe the phrase that will inspire me throughout the year. And the first thing that came to mind was the conversation I have with my mom. Every time I talk to her at the end and closing, she'll say, I love you, Jojo. Don't forget, have a fun. She's Korean, obviously. So her, she doesn't realize you don't have to actually say A, it's just (laughs) have fun. But her whole life, she's always said, have a fun, Jojo. And um, I actually had her write that out. And that became my mantra for 2022. And even in writing the book, I didn't realize how those two ideas would kind of weave together in a really unique way. Again, I'm going back to this little girl on the cover who's six, who at that point in life was living out loud. You didn't have to tell her to have fun. Yeah, Free as a bird. She loved to roller skate. So this whole year was me connecting back to her, not thinking forward, not even thinking five years back, going all the way back to when I can remember the lightest I ever felt, the most free I ever felt. And that's what I was wanting to tap back into. So the idea of have a fun, because I'd lost fun along the way, I became very responsible. Right. And so that was kind of the life I've lived. My whole life is like, don't, you know, just always just follow the rules. Don't have a fun. Right. And I just want to clarify like the thoughts you're having about like going and recapturing these moments in your in your life and your personality aren't about undoing like you know age related issues it's it's about going back and i'm just curious is it reliving this season of a life that you feel like you lost or you didn't live or is it going back and just rekindling those beautiful parts of who you were in those early seasons and reintroducing those elements of your personality to your current wise, beautiful, powerful self. Well, I think um, you can look backwards in a healthy way and you can look backwards in an unhealthy way. And I think the unhealthy version is, I wish I could do it all over again. I would have done it all different. This is what I would have done. And you, you sit in that space And that's, I think, what you call regret. For me, it's going back and not reliving those moments and wishing things would have been different. It's 
what was in my head and about who I was and reframing that and rewriting it. Because I think that's the power that we hold is when you sit and believe it for the rest of your life, then that's it. That's all it is. And you can't rewrite these things. It's not about reliving. It's about rewriting what you believed about yourself. And and so it's not going to relive. And I hope things change. It really is. This is who I was since I was zero, who I was since I was six, just because some of those moments and some of those pains and then through life and how life happens. Now here I pop out at 44 and I'm feeling all these things. There isn't regret, but it is this value that as I evaluate and go backwards, what can I bring with me as I move forward in this season and what lies and what things do I need to leave behind? And I think if you do that weekly, if you do that monthly, if you do that yearly, if you do that quarterly or every 20 years, it does make us richer as humans to be able to go back and say, okay, what was I believing for a little too long? How do I need to move forward in this? What do I need to leave behind? What do I need to take with me? That's really the practice that this has all been for me. Okay. As we wrap up our time together, Joe, I do want to say as you've written this book and now you've written it and it's done and you were releasing this book into the world, how has it changed you? How has it changed your life? You know, what did you learn through, through the process of it all that you're like, I'm going to do this from now until the end of time for you? I think for so long, I have looked at life when I think about like the lens I viewed it in it's been black and white, like just going, going, going rules, all the stuff. And I feel like a shift happened when I finished the book and I saw life in color in a way where it's like all this magic was around me this whole time and all of this beauty and even the beauty about who I am, like even the conversations now that my mind is having with itself, which sounds really weird, but the conversations for a long time have been a little bit depressing. I mean, just like, really, that's all you got. Like, they're just kind of where now, even this morning, there's like a new voice in my head. Come on. And it's like, oh, it was a surprise to me because it popped out of nowhere where normally I, I just know how my mind works and how. So it's like the more you get it out on the table and the more you recognize it and can identify things, the more you know how to handle things and what are tools And what are actually opposite of tools, things that break you down. And so to me, it's just an awareness of life in general, an awareness of who I am and what I bring to the table. And when I show up as full as I can, you're better for it. My kids are better for it. This business is better for it. But when I show up with only believing in half of me, it doesn't really do any good for me or anybody else. And so I would say the process of this book and the journey it's taken me on has changed just the way I see life. And it feels enlightening. Like I'm like, I want everyone to experience this because life is too short. And I know that sounds so cliche, but I'm 44 years old. There's no guarantee I'm going to be 50, 60, 70. So it's like, I want to really value the days I have here on planet earth and look back one day and say, "I, I held that well. I didn't just well, this is who I am and, you know, didn't push on any parts of me that could have been better. Sure. I want to constantly evolve into better, not for better sake, but better because that's, I think, what I deserve as a human being and what you deserve as my husband. And the list goes on. But thank you for showing up today reluctantly and maybe unknowingly and chatting with me. Will you come back for the next one? I don't see how you 
convinced me to show up for any more of these. So I don't even know how you're going to bamboozle me this third time, Maybe but I will tacos. say, well, tacos could do it. Okay. But I will say, I am so proud of you. Like, this is amazing because I see how this journey that you've been on is going to resonate with people who see the world the way you see it. And even as I read the book, I'm already into mm. chapter three. And so as I'm into chapter three, I realize I'm so thankful for the way you see the world because even though I see it differently, I will concede, thank God that both of us exist. Mm -hmm. Because if it's only me and the world, I wonder, I wonder how it all works. I, I think it would be complicated. And so when I think about you and I think about this book and I think about the impact that it's gonna have, I, I really, I'm really proud of you. Thanks, Chip. Thanks for listening to the stories we tell. The show was produced by Temple Williams and Chris Jacobs, and it was edited by Chris Jacobs. Special thanks to Eric LaFerriere, Jarrett Lambeau, Peyton Ligaber, and Temple Williams at Blind Mill, Kayla Luna, Alyssa Neely, and Hannah Cunningham from Magnolia, and Ashton Carter, Hannah Pedersen, and Chris Jacobs at Pod People. The Stories We Tell is produced by Blind Mill Audio in association with Pod People. For more episodes, you can follow The Stories We Tell wherever you listen to podcasts. The Stories We Tell, published by HarperCollins, is now available wherever books are sold. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.